We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And what we're going to do is um, we're going to look at verses 5 through 8 and verses 16 through 18. And by doing that, our plan is to double back and next Wednesday night, double back and start looking at what's called the Lord's Prayer. We'll look at that separate. We'll take that into a few bite-sized chunks. But uh, So tonight we're going we're to bypass it. We're going to look at verses 5 through 8 and then bypass the, the prayer and then look at verses 16 through 18. And verses 5 through 8 do deal with prayer. And then verses 16 through 18 deal with fasting. And so let me read the verses that we're going to be looking at tonight, and then we'll, um, we'll jump right in. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Then move over to verse 16. We'll read verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now right away, I just want to point out the obvious here without us missing it. Hypocrites pray and fast. All right? That's what Jesus said. Hypocrites do pray. Hypocrites even fast. But he's not talking to the hypocrites. He mentions them, but that's not who he's speaking to. He said, when you, when you, notice he said, when you pray, when you fast. And so Jesus is speaking to his followers, and that would mean us tonight, okay? So notice the contrast right away. Uh, The assumption, by the way, is that followers of Jesus will practice these acts of righteousness. In other words, Jesus said, when you do this, he doesn't say, you know, if you happen to pray or if you happen to fast, if you happen to do that, if you ever work that into your life at all, uh, then here's what you know. He said, when you do this. In other words, uh, Jesus assumes that people who follow him uh, will, will do these what's called acts of righteousness. Both of these acts of righteousness, however, must have a proper foundation. Because again, hypocrites, which are not seen as favorable in the scriptures, by the way, uh, hypocrites love to fast and they love to pray. Uh, But uh, they do not have a proper foundation. And so let's take prayer first, okay? Let's take that first and then we'll we'll get to what time we have left on fasting. But Notice in uh, verse 5, it says, When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray. Now, um, let's just ask this. Just, you don't have to answer this, okay? But um, maybe just think about this for a minute. 
It says hypocrites love to pray. Just ask yourself, do I love to pray? Now, do we always love to pray? We probably don't, do we? I mean, it would sound good if we said we always love to pray. So if you want to say that, it's fine. Go ahead. But uh, um, it, it would sound good, sound pretty impressive. But the fact is, I think, I think if we're all honest, uh, we, we know we should pray more. Uh, we probably could list off a number of, of, of blessed benefits for doing so. But do we always love to pray? Uh, probably the truth be known, we, we probably don't always uh, love to pray. Uh, so would, would, would loving to pray, you know, in other words, if there was two headings, a sheet of paper, and your name has to go underneath one of them, would loving to pray, would you be under that column, or, uh, or would prayerlessness would be under that column? Now, now you know, hopefully we could, you know, hopefully it wouldn't be prayerlessness, but let, let's just take that for a moment, okay? Um, where we, where we might say, look, I, you know, I, I don't always love to pray. Um, no, I should pray more. Uh, but maybe, maybe the column that I would be under might be, might be prayerlessness. Or I really, really struggle in that area. Um, and have you ever considered what prayerlessness says about ourselves? Let, let's say that we would be under that column. Let's just speculate for a moment. Let's say you're under that column of I think my, my life would be marked by prayerlessness. It, it doesn't mean you never pray, but it, it's, it's kind of sporadic, and, and so you might fall into that category of prayerlessness. Someone might even say this. They might say, I feel like my prayers just drop. You know, I, I pray, and I feel like they just drop, and they just go nowhere. We maybe have all felt that way at times. And where I don't know all the reasons, I, I don't, suggest that I know all of the reasons why we feel that way sometimes, why we feel like our prayers may drop or prayerlessness. I don't know all the reasons, but, you know, there could be a number of reasons. But I want to I think about one reason tonight that maybe all of us can, can understand. And one reason could be our foundation for praying, our foundation for praying. I've heard it put like this. Some approach prayer uh, as if uh, it's a God employee, uh, or I should say, should say employer employee relationship. It, it goes like this: uh, the boss advertises a position that's open at the workplace, and so you come along and you apply, and you find out that you are more than qualified for the position, and of course you you've put your best on the resume. Right, you, you you filled out the resume and you put your best on it, uh, and it turns out that you get the job. Now you get paid for doing the job. You you get rewarded for doing the job, and you do the job very well. And not only do you get rewarded, the company gets rewarded. Okay, so you, you've applied for the job. And you're qualified, and, 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 and they say, yep, you get the job, and so you're, you're doing the job, and you're doing it well, and you get paid, and the company's doing well because you're doing a great job. Uh, some, some relate to God in this way when it comes to prayer. Uh, I think you'll see this in just a moment. Uh, some, some, for some, they may not realize it, but the foundation for their prayer is a boss-employee relationship. 
Uh, and we can see it here in our text. Look at, look at verse uh, 5 and verse 7. We're going to look at each one of them separately. Or verse 5, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, in these two verses, you can see a very poisonous, unattractive mixture. One, you can see loving to pray in order to control. The desire to control. Uh, You can also find the seeking of human adoration for oneself. And also, you can see the effort to direct God to answer your prayers. You can see all, all three of those in these verses. One, the desire, the desire to be in control. It's a, you know, it's a human desire. Like, I, I, I want to I I have things my way. I want to have things in control for me. And you also see this unholy mixture of this desire for human adoration in verse 5, which says you know, they, they, that they may be seen by others, you see. They love to pray. They love to pray, but... It's in order to be seen by others. And, verse 7, to direct God to answer their prayers. Notice it says, but they think they will be heard for their many words. All of those things are a foundation of very much like an employee-employer. It's kind of like, I've come along, you know, um, I've done this for God. I've done this for him. Um, I'm doing this. I'm doing a really good job for God. And so, therefore, you know, I, I, uh, I, I attend church, uh, I give, uh, I serve when I can. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm doing some things for God's kingdom. Uh, he's getting benefit for it. You know, it's, it's working out good for him and uh, working out good for his church. And, uh, and so now, you know, I, I need something. You know, I, I'm, I'm doing stuff for him. I need something. And so, uh, therefore... Um, since since I applied and since uh, you know I was I was accepted and I I, I filled the bill and I'm doing I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Uh, God, you should come through for me. See, many many people, whether they realize it or not, can can find themselves built on a foundation of kind of like an employer employee relationship with God. You, do you understand what I'm saying? Understand? Okay. Is there a better model? And your head should be going, yes, it should be. Is there a better model? A more fitting way to relate to God, and yes, there is. And we see it here in our text. It is the father-child model. First model, employer-employee. Second model, father-child. Notice, notice, notice it says in verse 6, but when you pray. And it's aiming this at his disciples. When you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your what? Father, not your boss, not your employer. Pray to your father, okay? So already we're getting this picture of a father-child relationship. Uh, Verse 6, and and your father who sees you in secret. uh, Shut the door, pray to your father, father sees. So so father-father-child relationship. See, we, here's, here's, here's the gospel truth. We were adopted into the family of God by grace. We did not apply you know, we didn't, we didn't fill out a resume, 
and God look at the resume and, you know, send it on down the line and, you know, hey, she's really, she's really going to be great and he's going to really be great. You know, it's not that at all. We didn't apply for it. We, we, were, we were adopted in the family of God by grace. And uh, the, the way a, a parent responds to a child is, is entirely different than a boss responds to an employee, right? Uh, God, on one hand, you know, we can't forget this. God is our creator, and so he owns us, okay? But at the same time, uh, God is our king. He rules us. But on the other hand, he is also our father. Can't forget any of those, okay? I, I think of the picture when I, was, when I was thinking about this this week. I think about the picture, and some of you old enough to remember this, uh, when John F. Kennedy was president, there would, you know, they, they would allow uh, photographers into the Oval Office and you would see these black and white pictures of uh, President Kennedy you know, sitting in his chair on the telephone you know, talking to world leaders while uh, 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 John Jr. and Caroline were under the desk playing. You know? and, 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 and when you see that picture, what you see is, what we should see is all, all of that presidential power. You've know, you got all this, this is a... You know, powerful person in the United States. You got all this power, all of uh, uh, this power is directed toward his children in love and tenderness. You see? And it's the same way, except in a more beautiful way, with God. All, all of his, 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 his power as creator and ruler of the universe, still, uh, all of that is directed toward his people in love and tenderness. And so, uh, Perhaps, just asking you to think about it, perhaps one of the reasons for prayerlessness, or uh, prayerlessness, lack of praying, whatever you want to call it, could be that our prayer life is, is built on a faulty foundation of thinking more um, employer-employee relationship rather than what Jesus is teaching us here in father and child relationship. So prayerlessness is a serious problem. And it reveals some interesting truths about our foundation. But let's go on to the second thing. We can also love to pray for the wrong reasons. These hypocrites love to pray, but they were praying and loving to pray for the wrong reasons. And uh, we, we know this, right? You know, our loves, we love a lot of different things, but our loves can be disordered. And even our love for prayer can be disordered. What, what is Jesus getting at when he says that the hypocrites love to pray? What, just let me ask you that. What do you think? What, what is Jesus getting at when he says the hypocrites love to pray? What do you think he's talking about? What, what, what's he getting at? What do you think? Huh? Okay, to be, to be seen. Okay, so they, they love to pray, uh, but they, they, they love it for the wrong reasons, right? Okay. Anything else? What do you think Jesus is getting at here? Okay, yeah, all right. See, on the surface, surface people would look at them, they look at, the, they look at these folks and they say, man, they sure love to pray. They sure love to pray. They're pretty good at praying. Uh, boy, I ain't never heard anybody pray like that. You know, on the surface, on the surface it may seem like it, but Jesus takes us, and he always does, always takes us deeper than the surface. Notice, they love, look, when it says they love to pray, what Jesus is getting at, is they love themselves and the opportunity which public praying gives them to parade themselves. They don't love to pray. They love themselves. Now, that's what they love about praying. <laughs> they love to pray, not because they love prayer, not because they love God, but 
the opportunity it affords them to be seen. You understand? So when Jesus said they love to pray, he's not commending them. He's not saying, boy, those jolly good old religious people there, they love to pray. Isn't that cool? Uh, no, because he, he actually turns his followers in a different direction. Okay? Uh, they, they love the applause and the praise of others. And you see that again in verse 5. They stand in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. One could say that their prayers were directed more to man than to God. So let's don't be deceived. Their loving to pray is really coming. Jesus lifts the lid on this. Their loving to pray, uh, their, their bold public demonstrations of prayer, uh, they love to pray. What they really love themselves. They really love themselves, and they, they love prayer because it gives an opportunity for them to parade themselves before others. The alternative that Jesus gives to his followers, though, is found in verse 6. But when you pray, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your fathers in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this verse, as many others, could be very easily misunderstood. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Is Jesus saying that we should never pray publicly? He's not, is he? It'd be easy to take that verse, though, if you just lift it out and you don't consider anything else. Say, well, Jesus, we shouldn't be praying in public. We should only, you know, go into a closet, go into a small room, and that's where we should do our praying. Uh, because really, if you, if, you, if you end up saying, if you end up saying, no, there should never be any public prayer, that Jesus, Jesus is ruling out public prayer, You'd have to then ask, how does this align with our call to be salt and light? He said that earlier. We be, be salt and light. You know, we, be seen. You know, be heard. So Jesus is not at all suggesting here uh, that that there are no no occasions for public prayer. Now, how do we know that? Somebody give me a simple answer. How do we know that Jesus is not ruling out? Or, or that he's not ruling out all public prayer and that it all needs to be private? How do we know that? Somebody tell me. Simple. Huh? Yeah. Simple answer is the Bible's filled with public prayers. <laughs> right? That's the answer. I mean, that's the simple answer. Uh, for anybody who would say, well, you know, oh, we need a, you know, no, no public prayer. No. Bible's filled with public prayer. You've got public prayer in the Old Testament, public prayer in the New Testament. So Jesus is not ruling out public prayer. When it comes to practicing, though, um, our, our piety before people, Remember, we, we mentioned this last week. I'm, I'm pretty sure we mentioned it. Uh, remember the good rule, you know, when you're being salt and light. On one hand, we're, we're told to be salt and light, and, and, then, and then we're told here, you know, hey, go into a room. And the, the good rule is this. Show when tempted to hide. Hide when tempted to show. I think that's a good rule. Run across that a few weeks ago. That, that'll kind of help keep our lives in check. You know, we, when we're tempted, when we're tempted, to, I want to, I want to show everybody my righteousness. I want to show it. It might be a good time to hide it. <laughs> but when, when, when you're feeling a little cowardly, a little, you know, intimidated, timid, cowardly, whatever, that might be a good time to show it. Now, the really neat nugget for me, some of you probably already know this, but the neat nugget for me is found in verse six. But when you pray, go into your room. Um, I think it's John Stott and his commentary on this. The word room, the word room that Jesus used, Jesus had used a number of different words in the Greek. But the word that he used is the word for a storeroom 
where treasures might be kept. Isn't that cool? Jesus said, go into your, go into your treasure room. Go, go into that room where your treasures are kept. And really important stuff. Now, what, what, is, what does he mean by that? You know, what, what, what would he be meaning? The implication may be that there are treasures awaiting us as we go to pray. Okay? But think about it. Isn't that, isn't that neat? And, and just using that one word, Jesus is saying, hey, go into that room where, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a room where people normally would keep their most valuable things or treasures. Jesus says, go into that room. Uh, and, 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 and could it be that he's implying, I think it is, I think he's implying that there are treasures awaiting us when we pray. Verse 6 seems to be not about Jesus providing a specific mode of praying, but rather about purifying our motives in praying. Okay, so it, 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 it's, it's, it's not, this is not giving a specific mode of praying. Because, I mean, how many of you just find those, do you find those times you're driving to work, you pray? Anybody? For those of you who still work, most of you don't probably. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but do, do, my point is, do you find those times that you, you, you know, whatever you may be, walking, you know? You find, so Jesus is not laying down a specific thing. He says, there's got to be a room. You've got you to find a room. And it's got to be this kind of room. And that, you know, it's not, that's not the point, no. He, he's talking about purifying our motives in praying. We should pray out of a genuine love for our Father in heaven. Now, get verse 7. And now it gets, it gets interesting here. He provides us with another warning. Uh, verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, what is going on here? It says they think. Notice verse 7, they think. In other words, there, they, there, there are those who would have a mindset that the probability of an answer to prayer is in proportion to the total number of words in the prayer, okay? In other words, if, if, I, if I, it's the mentality that says my, my, my odds, my odds at getting an answer, <laughs> my odds at getting, you know, God up off the chair to do something, my odds of getting God going is increased by the number of words I use. If I use, if I use, you know, if I pray, a, you know, like, if I pray something like, God help me, help me now, it's like, yeah, I don't know if that'll work. You know, we, more words, more words will really, see, it's what Jesus is saying. They think, they think that by their many words. A good example of this is found in, uh, I think it's First Kings, where uh, most of you remember the story of, of Elijah and the uh, prophets of Baal, okay? Uh, what do you, anybody remember pieces about that story? What, what, what did the prophets of Baal, when they, when they when they turned loose to try to get Baal's attention, what, what did they do? What happened? What, what was it now? Tell me. Uh, okay, a lot of speaking. What, what else did they do? Anybody remember? Cut themselves, okay. Um, a lot of animation. A lot of animation. You know, crying out loud, you know, and cutting themselves and, and just carrying on and carrying on and carrying on. And Elijah had a great time with it, you know. You know, hey, you know, maybe, maybe Baal's asleep, you know. It, it, it literally, it literally in Hebrew says, maybe he's on, maybe he's gone to the bathroom. He can't hear you. Really? Really? I mean, that's what, what it says. I mean, it doesn't say, it doesn't say in an English translation, but in the Hebrews, it's like, you know, maybe, maybe he's busy, you know, in the porta pot. Um, 
And it's, it's kind of really kind of humorous in a way because, you know, you, you all are carrying on and carrying on and carrying on and Baal's not doing a thing. But then what do we find with Elijah? What does he do? He prayers, prays a simple, direct prayer. No, no cutting himself, no dancing, no hollering, no, you know, animation. He just, a simple, direct prayer and boom, <laughs> you know, boom, here, you know, here comes God on the scene. See? So it's a perfect example, I think, uh, at least a helpful example. Now, one, once again, once again, okay, want, want to be careful here. Okay? Uh, because one could then turn, after everything I've said, one could simply go, oh, I get it, okay. Maybe, maybe, maybe I better trim my prayers down to, maybe they need to be within a dozen words. Maybe I better keep it in a dozen, you know, so I can line up with verse 7. Again, Jesus is not saying here that, okay, every prayer has to be under a dozen words or something like that. One could interpret that Jesus wants all of our prayers to be brief, but when you compare that to, say, Luke 18. Luke 18, what do you remember the, uh, the, 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 the widow who, who's, you know, the example of crying out and crying out, you know, to God again, keep pulling on the judge's robe, you know, keep on. Uh, so you know, you've got that, you've got that in contrast with this. And so, uh, you know, Jesus is not saying that all of our prayers, in fact, in fact, a good example for this would be John 17, Jesus' prayer in John 17. Take a look at that. It's quite wordy, <laughs> you know, it's more than a dozen words. All right. So what is verse 7 dealing with? And again, remember it says they think. They think there's, there, there's, there's a heart mentality that thinks this is the way I'll get it done. I, I'll, I will get, uh, you know, the God or the gods or whatever. I'll get, I'll get, I'll get their attention by, a, you know, a certain words and a certain volume of words or whatever. Verse 7, Jesus is, is dealing with an attitude of heart which thinks it will be heard for its many words. That's the danger. The attitude of the heart that thinks, I can, I can get God to move on this. I can get him to do this if I'll just use the right words or the right volume of words. All right, make sense? I, you, I'm not, I, first off, let me make sure, I'm not the prayer police, okay? So, uh, you know, uh, but I, th- I think, I think uh, again, you know, it, it'd be easy to make some hard and fast rules out of these verses. But, again, Jesus is going deeper to a, to a heart issue, you see, rather, rather than giving, you know, particulars about here's, here's the way it's got to be, how to model prayer and that sort of thing. All right, well, let's look over at verses 16 and 18. We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer or what they call the Lord's Prayer. We'll talk about that more when we get to it. But verses 16 through 18 when you fast, okay, so what do, we, what do we know from the first four words? What can you tell me? What, what do we know? If you read those first four words, what would that tell you? <laughs> that, that Jesus does, Jesus, Jesus does expect uh, fasting to be part of the Christian's acts of righteousness, okay? So, you know, when we, when we, when we look at prayer, you know, and when we look at fasting, um, we shouldn't see, you know, one as, as being the real, the real thing, you know, and the other one's kind of just a, you know, kind of a second, third cousin type of thing. Uh, but, but Jesus here gives the contrast of hypocritical fasting 
and authentic fasting, okay? It makes a contrast between those two. Same way with prayer. There's hypocritical praying and authentic praying. Now he's doing the same thing with fasting. These passages do not say everything about the spiritual discipline of fasting. How many of you are aware of that, okay? Jesus is not giving an exhaustive teaching on fasting. So it's not saying everything about fasting, so let's make sure we, we know that. Uh, I, think, I think in your notes we you know, just found, a, I think, a helpful definition for fasting. Fasting is abstention from food either partially or totally for short or long periods. Um, uh, and, and I found this interesting. I, you know, the word in the morning you will have what? You'll have what? When you eat in the morning, what will you have? Breakfast, okay? Breakfast, okay? Uh, and that, that, that word came from the, the night before. You know, no, there's the night before a, a person was fasting, okay? So they ate nothing. And in the morning they would eat and they would what? Break their fast. So that's how we, that's how we come up with the word breakfast, okay? That's good enough. We can go home on that, right? Jesus is making a comparison between those who pray publicly, but they do it to be seen by others. He's comparing that to solitaire praying where the Father sees. And so he's not restricting us to solitary praying. It's okay to pray publicly. The real issue is whose attention are we trying to get? See, that's really what's at stake. Okay? You're welcome. Uh, reason, let's go through a list of reasons for fasting. Uh, self-denial, self-discipline, humbling oneself before God, also distress over sin and guilt. In the Jewish calendar, there were certain special fasts in which everybody participated. The Pharisees, uh, according to uh, uh, history, Pharisees fasted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And fasting had been turned into as we see here, into a, a self-righteous display. And, you know, you just if you want to look into this, you can look in Isaiah chapter 58 uh, where you know, God has, through his prophet Isaiah, has to correct uh, this, this act of righteousness of fasting has gone off the rails. And they're, you know, doing, again, doing it for the wrong reasons. Uh, in verse 16... Let's look at it. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Uh, tell me, what's, what, what do you, what's going on there? What do you, what do you, what's that look like? Okay, do it, doing it for show. Um, you can almost see that, can't you? You know, um, you know uh, having a today, praise God, you know, having a today, you know. Uh, you know, oh, Brother, you look tired. Yeah, I guess so. I've been fasting, you know. You know, that sort of thing, you know. And why? To get the, you know, get the applause, get the sympathy, you know, praise of others. And it, this is another one of those interesting places where Bible study is really rewarding. Verse 16, it says uh, that their fasting may be seen by others, Okay. And the, the Greek word that is used there, and I cannot pronounce it, but, but it is the, it, it, I'm going to try it. It's, it's uh, thethani, which we get our English word, what? Theater. Isn't that cool? So what Jesus is saying is when they were, when they were fast, when the hypocrites were fat, who loved to fast, again, it wasn't so much that they loved fasting. They loved the opportunity. They, they, they loved the opportunity that fasting gave them to give a performance. See? 
Why? Because they love themselves. <laughs> See? So, you know, they lo- they, you know, the parents was, oh, my goodness, these folks love fasting. Now, again, they, they love the opportunity that fasting presented them to give them a performance because they love themselves. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. What, is, what do you think Jesus means here? What, what, is, what is he saying to his followers here? What? Okay, not to let on. He's saying our fasting must never be for the attention of men. Simple as that. Okay? One final thing in verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your fathers in secret. The true believer, true believers are aware that they're being watched. Okay? We, we are aware that we're being watched but for us, the audience, the primary audience, is our Father in heaven, okay? right? Um, yeah, yes, we're going we're we're to be seen. You know, we're aware of that. Uh, and, and, and unbelievers are going to see, you know. They're, they're going to they're hear us praying. They're going to see our righteous acts, but they must, never, they must never be done in such a way that we're doing theater, okay, as, as the world is our audience. Our primary audience, our our most important audience, is our Father in heaven. Father, I thank you for this dear body of believers who look to you as their Father in heaven. And Lord, while there there may be, certainly as Jesus described, there may be those who uh, would love to pray, love to fast for all the wrong reasons, Uh, such a a hollow thing to be seen by others when we really think it through. We know that no matter what we do, people are never going to be satisfied. We ought to know that. But you've called us to a life of, of fully pleasing you. And so uh, may, may our great joy, may our great delight be able to, to do our righteous acts with you as the audience of one, uh, the one that matters the most. And, and as you said, you will reward us. And so, Lord, may we go now, and uh, may we do our acts of righteousness uh, for your great glory and for your namesake, empowered by the spirit that you have placed within us. And we pray this through Christ. Amen.